As we continue our exploration through the Gospel of John, we're going to be looking at the coming of John the Baptist. This is John 1, 19 through 28, which can be found in your bulletin or it can be found on the screen. And this is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The word of the Lord. Well, there was a famous quote by William Shakespeare that said this, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. I think we all can resonate with that quote, because we have different parts to play in our own stories, right? You're a husband, you're a wife, you're a worker, you're a parent. And each of us are in our own story, our day-to-day -day story in which we live out this thing we call life. But the Bible tells us that there is a greater story that we are living in. There is a fallen creation, a creation in rebellion against God. And God has sent a Savior to redeem people, His people. That there is a King who is coming that will make all things right and will resurrect His people and the world. And in this passage, we see the story of a person who played his part, John the Baptist. His role was to proclaim the coming of the king. He was most certainly a weird character who ate locusts and wild honey and wore a robe of camel hair and a leather belt. But he was a person who knew who he was and what he had been sent to do. So the question I have for you today is this. Do you? Do you know who you are and what you have been sent to do? See, we have a role to play not only in our individual stories, but in the greater story. And let me suggest to you that that role is far more important than the role in our day-to-day -day stories. And I want to also suggest to you that our role is the same as that of John the Baptist. There are two things that God has called each and every one of us to do every day for the rest of our life until Christ comes. And that is to prepare and to proclaim. To prepare for His coming and to proclaim His coming. That's our role. And those are the two things that we're going to look at uh, in this passage. To prepare and to proclaim. So let's look at point number one, to prepare. John, the apostle, the writer, includes John the Baptist 
All the Gospels include John the Baptist, by the way. And back in his time, John the Baptist was very, very famous. Why was he so famous? He was this wild character who was preaching and baptizing in the desert. I think it was this reason. While ancient Israel could boast a rich history of prophets sent from God, by John's day, the office seemed to be just that, history. There had not been one sent from God for over 400 years. And then John appears proclaiming the word of the Lord with power. And the entire country was in an uproar because of John's ministry. And we see here in verse 19 that the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. In fact, this Greek is, you can't use a stronger way to communicate. He's very clearly communicated, I'm not him, I'm not the Christ, the one that you are looking for. Well, are you Elijah? Why did they ask him that question? Well, it was because in the last prophecy of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, it said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. John the Baptist said, No, I'm not Elijah. But John was speaking a little bit tongue-in-cheek. He was not Elijah personally, but very clearly he was fulfilling the role of Elijah in Malachi. In fact, the angel prophesied to Zechariah, John's father, that John the Baptist would go before the Messiah in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So while John was not Elijah reincarnated, his ministry was that of Elijah. Well, are you the prophet then? The teachers asked. This comes from Deuteronomy 18.18 18, when Moses said, when God said through Moses that I will raise up a prophet like you from among the Israelites and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. A, a second day Moses, a New Testament Moses, if you will. Are you that person? And John the Baptist said no. So they said, well, who are you then? And John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He's quoting Isaiah 43, where a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now when that uh, passage was quoted in Isaiah, this leveling of hills and valleys and straightening of curves, it was to accommodate the return of the covenant people from exile. Remember that the Israelites had been exiled and this was foretelling a path for them to come back. But even in Isaiah, you can clearly see that he's talking about more than just the covenant people coming back. He's talking about God actually coming to his people. See, what John is saying to them is that's who I am. I'm here to tell you to build a highway for the king who is coming. John the Baptist is a construction foreman, if you will, who is telling people to prepare. And notice how John proclaims this message. He proclaims it in the wilderness because this Savior who's coming is coming from afar. He's not coming from within. In fact, he's coming from heaven itself 
being sent by God, a place that they don't expect. And he proclaims as a voice crying out, shouting, if you will, because the people have become complacent. They're not expecting a Savior. He's dressed in such a way as to attract attention, if you will, to shake people out of their stupor and communicate to them, prepare the way. Now, why is it good that the Lord is coming? That's why we read this passage in our praying the scripture earlier, Isaiah 41 through 5, because it's full of the promises of God, where God says, Comfort, comfort my people. God is coming to bring comfort. This king will be a king that brings grace and mercy. As Jesus said, Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's a king that's gentle and humble in heart. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. This king that is coming is coming to declare forgiveness of sins, freedom from the shackles of their iniquity. And it says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. John the Baptist is saying, this one who is coming will reveal the glory of God, that all of you are going to see it together. Isn't it interesting that the way that they see it most is him dying on the cross. And so John's overarching message is prepare. Make straight the way of the Lord. He's saying make it easy. Now when a king came to a region back in those days, people wanted him to come to their city, to their region, and so what would they do? They would go out and they would repair the road. They would prepare it, so to speak, to make it easy. They would level, if you will, the high places and they would raise up the low places to make a smooth road so that the king would come to their place. That's what John is saying. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Well, that's great, John, but how are we to prepare this road? Are you literally saying physically we're supposed to go out and prepare a road? No, the key word that John the Baptist is communicating is the way that you are to prepare for the Lord is to repent. Matthew 3.1 says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. This word repent in the Greek, metanoia, literally means to change your mind. Change your mind, which, revol which involves a turning from one way to another. See, humanity had rebelled against God, had run away from God, had rebelled against Him, had stood over Him and said, we don't want you to be our king. We don't want you to be our Lord. And the entire world was rebelling against the Lord. And John was saying, you need to change your mind. You need to repent. It's through repentance that you prepare for Him to come. And so through His ministry, as Matthew 3, 5 says, all of Jerusalem and Judea, they were coming 
to be baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was helping them to prepare their human hearts for the coming of the king. And there was an immediacy to John's ministry, right? In verse 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Christ was already there in their midst, ready to reveal himself. And there was a consequence for whether they prepared their hearts or not. John said in Matthew 3.10, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good, good fruit in keeping with repentance is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now John's message is as relevant for us today as it was for them. See, Christ came in response to uh, coming after John's announcement. And Christ died on the cross and rose again, and Christ is coming back. We too are waiting for the Savior to come. But the kingdom of God is already among us, is it not? Jesus is in heaven, but His Holy Spirit is here on the earth. It resides in every single one of His believers. It resides in this place right here. And so the question is, are we preparing for His return? Are we first looking for His coming? There's this popular notion in our culture that all humanity and all of life, it's just a circle of life, right? I've heard that wonderful song from Elton John. It just goes around and around and around. It's just day to day. We wake up, we do our thing, we go to sleep, and we do it again and again and again. And we string together our days and our weeks and our years, and that's what equals a life. But are we instead preparing for His return? Or are we like them, too busy, too distracted by everything that is going on around us? Are our hearts prepared? See, the message of repentance is still applicable for us today. Isaiah 57, 15 tells us this. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place but also with him who is contrite and low in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. John is calling us and I am calling you to turn away from our sin and to turn to Christ. What's amazing is as we live and we wait, it's really Christ is the one who has made the way to come to him. That's what he did, right? He raised valleys. He brought down mountains. He made a path to God the Father by shedding his blood on the cross for our forgiveness. Jesus said the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Our work in preparing and repenting is not only getting our act together or getting our act together, but believing that Jesus is who He says He is. Believing and trusting that the Lord is coming back, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know if you've been on construction, uh, been on Laskin Road lately, uh, down by the beach. 
I try to avoid it at all costs. Because there's a tremendous amount of construction on Laskin Road from First Colonial heading toward the beach. They determined, you see, that the road is too narrow. That there are people that want to get from point A to point B down to the beach and this road can't accommodate what they, uh, this flow of traffic. And so it has to be enlarged, has to be straightened a little bit. And there's a tremendous amount of infrastructure that's going in as stuff is teared down. It's a mess. It's actually going to cost about $28.5 million. See, it's painful, but it's necessary to make it easy for people to get to where they want to go. See, we're in the renovation and construction business of our own hearts as we prepare for the coming of the King. So where is your hope? Is it in Him? Or is it in this world? Who is your King? And if He is your King, what construction do you have to do? What mountains in your life need to be torn down? And what valleys need to be raised up? What are the obstacles that must go to prepare the way of the Lord in your heart? Perhaps you've fallen captive to the materialism of this world. That it's all about your job and your finances and keeping up with the Jones. Well, you don't have time for him. My friends, this has to go. Our eyes need to be fixed and focused on him for the king is coming. Prepare the way. Maybe I'm in a relationship right now. I'm dating someone and our relationship is keeping me from the Lord or pulling me from the Lord. It's not holy. And yet it's hard for me to let go of it. I know it's not good, but I really care for this person. Every mountain needs to be laid low and every valley raised up. We must prepare by cutting out of our life and adding into our life and adjusting to our life to be ready because He is coming back. So prepare for the coming of the King. That's my first point. But my second point is like John the Baptist, we need not only to prepare, but to proclaim. Think a little bit about this. John had his chance to be great. I mean, these leaders are coming to him and they're asking him questions like, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah, the greatest prophet? Are you... I mean, he is held up in that sort of rarity of circle. But John knew who he was. He had a specific role to proclaim the coming of the Christ to an unbelieving world. John knew that it was not about him, that it was about the Lord. He was a true disciple. Notice in verse 27, he says that even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. What is he talking about there? See, when a Jewish uh, teacher, a rabbi, took a student, that student was expected to do anything and everything that that rabbi asked him to do. He was a virtual slave, if you will, of the rabbi, except for one thing. He did not have to care for the rabbi's shoes or take them off his feet or wash or fix his sandals. 
But John is saying that I am not even worthy to untie the strap of my rabbi, my teacher. In other words, I am low and he is great. John realized who he was. Do we have the same spirit? That it's about him and not about us. And John's role and goal was to proclaim him to everyone. John said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way. Later in John 3.26, people, John's disciples came to John and said, Rabbi, the man who is with you, Jesus, on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. In other words, we're losing all of our people, John. This is a problem. And what does John say? He must become greater, and I must become less. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend, meaning John is speaking of himself, who attends the bridegroom, Jesus, waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. The friend belongs to the bridegroom and his goal is to lift him up, to proclaim him, for him, his name to become great. John the Baptist derived all of his joy from the fact that people were going to Jesus because his role was to proclaim. We too are also called to be proclaimers. This life is not about us. 2 Corinthians 5.18 puts it this way, that all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. See, my friends, Christ has come and he's reconciling people to himself. He's done that with you if you are a Christian. And he calls us to be ambassadors, representatives who have been entrusted with a message, the gospel. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I will be with you. But you say to me, Carlos, I can't. I mean, this is John the Baptist. I'm just an ordinary person. Jesus said in Luke 7:28, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. My friends, we also are a voice in the wilderness, crying out to an unbelieving world, make way for the king who is coming, Jesus Christ, he's coming back. And his spirit is moving. The king has come and is coming again. So what is this message that we share? It's the gospel. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them.
All around us, people are walking around in chains, enslaved to their sins, under the penalty of death. And we have the opportunity, we know who the key is that unlocks the burdens on their backs, that frees them from sin, that allows them to be reconciled to God. We have the opportunity to introduce Him. You know, whenever you go to a party, I'm very self-conscious when I meet other people. I think about how to introduce myself, right? It's very easy when we're nervous to think about ourselves and only ourselves. But when I discover that I'm not just going to a party or to a meeting or to any place to represent myself, that I also am an ambassador, that I'm representing another, it gives me courage. It gives me boldness because I have a role to play. Who cares if they know anything about Carlos? But wouldn't it be great if they could be introduced to Jesus Christ? So I bring us back to the question that I asked you in the beginning. Who are you? What do you say about yourself? Well, who am I? I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend, I'm a pastor. But at my core, who am I? Because who you are is what you are about. John the Baptist shows us what we are called to be. There's a single-mindedness that he must become greater and I be, must become less. And so what's got to go? I'm not saying that you need to become like John and go live in the desert and wear clothes of camel hair and eat locusts and honey. But I'm not saying you don't. Christianity calls us to single-mindedness where Christ's priorities become my priorities, where Jesus becomes the vine and I become the branches. If we are about him, we are preparing for his coming and we are in the business of proclaiming him. John's context was the nation of Israel. And what's your context? God is calling you to put into your context proclaiming Christ there. You're a military contractor. You deal with active duty people with reserves and civilians. You're in a position of influence. And though the, the man and the system tries to muzzle you, you have opportunities through the way you live your life, through the relationships you form, through all sorts of ways to have opportunities to share Jesus Christ with people. Are you looking to do so? Or you're a homemaker and your life is centered around your kids and the relationships that you have with other parents, with other people in the neighborhood and in the community, and nobody around you has faith. God has sent you to your context to be a voice crying out in the wilderness, make way, the King is coming. And so I invite you 
like John, to a magnificent obsession. All of us are looking for someone who is worthy of all of our heart's devotion. And the one that you're looking for to give your heart and your life to is Jesus Christ. So prepare your hearts for His coming and proclaim Him to a thirsty world because our role is to prepare for and to proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ. And by His grace, we will do so. Let's pray. Oh God, help us to prepare our hearts for Your second coming. God, help us uh, to pull out our shovel and to dig in, Lord, and to not spare anything that would keep You from coming to us. Lord, help us to have that attitude. And give us a spirit like John that understood that you must become greater and we must become less. Lord, help us to be proclaimers where we work, where we live, and where we play. And use us in a mighty way to share this wonderful message of reconciliation that one can be made right with you and can become your son and daughter and have peace in this world. God, that is what we want, to be preparers and proclaimers. We pray that you would make it so in our lives. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.